0: of Jackson Elias, the regular podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Holwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. And this episode we're heading out into the sunshine to discuss the 2019 folk horror film Midsummer.
1: Before we get into all that good stuff though, what is going on? Well,
2: when this episode goes out, I'm going to be at Contingency. Woohoo! Yes, that's right. on the, uh, the Suffolk coast, right? It, uh, used it, to be it's down Norfolk, on... isn't it? Yeah, it's Norfolk. Ah. It used to be down south. It used to be the, the spiritual successor to Conception. But last year it moved up to Sunny Hunstanton. Still think that's one of the most ironic names for the place, especially You are there in January. Yeah. You can't expect a lot of sun. <laughs> <But>, None. <laughs>
1: right. But it means you're no longer enjoying the pleasures of sandy balls.
0: Oh, I know. Well. Oh. For the listeners, that was the name of the previous venue, Sandy Balls.
2: They were very sandy, and there were many balls. We're back to the monkey glands again.
0: (laughs) Uh, And a quick shout-out to uh, the seminar put out by What Would the Smart Party Do? from a month ago now, from Dragon Meat. I took part on a panel with Baz and Gaz and Mike Mason talking about how to be a better player.
1: We'll link to that from the show notes. And there was another seminar there as well, wasn't there, where there was an announcement about a a new project from Chaosium.
0: Yeah, we're doing a game version of the Rivers of London series of books, which is a series about nine novels, a couple of graphic novels, Set in London, about police investigation into magic
1: and yeah, it's, it's, strange entities. It's a good combination of urban fantasy and police procedural. I've read almost all of the books. I'm about two books behind on the series. And yeah, they're great fun. I recommend them highly.
2: I only know Ben Aranovic from his Doctor Who days. That's as much as exposure to his work as I've got, unfortunately. But they were two bloody good episodes he did.
0: And one more little thing I'd mention, and I think will still be out online when this episode goes out, is the BBC have done an adaptation of The Whisperer in Darkness. Oh, yes, which as an follows, audio. On,
1: it, well, follows on from one of the case of Charles Dexter Ward, doesn't it?
0: Yes. Uh, so this is an audio drama. I think it's in about 12 or 16 parts. It's quite long. And each episode, you know, about half an hour. And it's an updated version of it set in the modern day. And the framework of the presentation is such that they're a horror podcast and they're looking into these events. And I kind of heard the first one. "Ah, It's kind of all right. Then I listened to the second one last night. And yeah, it gets pretty creepy, Mm. actually. And they go into uh, the house and there's this radio playing. And it's playing. What was that tune you had in your scenario, Matt? The The number station one.
1: Oh, the 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 jolly! Oh no, uh, hunter, Lincolnshire uh, poacher.
0: Yes, yeah, the Lincolnshire poacher, jolly yeah. hunter. What,
1: <laughs> it's all the same. And it, it, I'm not sure
0: they're using the number stations, but it's a bit like uh, that. Yes,
1: yeah. Mm. Apparently, from what I've heard, it does go into number stations later on.
0: Pretty mm. creepy. It reminds me how creepy audio drama can be, or at least how creepy I, I find it when it's done well. So I'm really actually now intrigued to listen to the rest.
1: Yeah, I've heard really good things about the case of Charles Dexter Ward as well, which is in the same format. So it sounds like they're doing a sort of continuity thing of Mm. trying to update and string together a lot of the Lovecraft stories into this format. So we'll link to those from the show notes. And yes, I really must pull my finger out and listen to those.
0: And now on to our main topic, Midsummer.
1: Yes, what? Better time to talk about a film set during the height of summer than well, it's pretty much midwinter as we're recording this. Hey,
2: it fits the opening few minutes, uh, the opening few seconds.
1: Yes, mm, I'll we'll get into that in just a sec. This is a film that was released this year. Well, as we're recording twenty nineteen, last year when you're listening to this, written and directed by Harry Aster, who had previously made Hereditary. In fact, he
2: started filming the day after Hereditary got released. That's workmanship, isn't it?
0: Don't take a break, just yeah, <laughs> get straight back on the horse. So it's an American-Swedish co-production, which is pretty evident when you watch it, I think. The film is mostly set in Helsingland, in central Sweden, and was shot on location just outside Budapest in Hungary. The film uses many elements from Swedish folklore, but rearranges them into fiction.
1: Yes, and as I'm sure Matt will comment many times during this discussion, uh, this uh, is a long film. The version that was put into distribution, the studio cut, is 147 minutes, and that's the short version. There is a full director's cut that runs for 171 minutes.
2: Because you had to pack another half hour of fucking tedium
1: into this thing, yeah. <laughs> well, you can tell us all about that later, Matt, but... <laughs> The film was cut for a number of reasons. Apparently it needed to be cut to avoid an NC-17 rating in the US, which, as American listeners will know, is pretty much commercial death for a film because it means it doesn't get properly distributed. And I was kind of surprised by that. I mean, maybe we'll talk about it a bit more as the film goes on. But, I mean, there are a few scenes of intense gore in this, but on the whole, compared to a lot of horror films... I would have thought that there was that much but that was sexual content shocking. as well.
2: That's yeah, what I was going to mention. I would have thought a particular not, scene would have really gone it off the. It's not overly
1: graphic,
0: and it's not as graphic as some other you know, mainstream cinema releases that I can think of. You know, thinking of th- films like Antichrist and some other films.
1: I think Antichrist probably did get an NC seventeen.
0: Yes. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. So yeah, there's sex and there's. I'll hesitate to say violence, but there's gore.
1: I mean, there is violence. There There is definitely violence, but we'll cover it as it comes up. The violence in this and the gore in this is fleeting. Mm, I'd question that.
2: Yeah, me too.
0: Now let's move on to a synopsis of Midsummer.
2: Well, we open with a colourful but eerie mural that lays out much of what we will see throughout the film. This probably was the first hint that I knew I wasn't going to like this film because that shot lasted too fucking long. So, yes, it's on the screen. It makes a really shit screensaver. Do something with it. Move on. Move on. Well, and then finally it parts and you get a rather nice set of landscapes. Yeah. I mean, that all lasts probably three seconds.
1: No, it's, it's significantly more than that. Okay. Maybe, maybe four. <laughs> it is not long seen that. Well, it pauses, but, it I mean, it yeah. fucking long, really.
0: I actually ended up pausing it last night to look at the mm. picture for longer just to see if, what sense I could
2: make of it. Well, it was and dichotomy. You had light on one side, dark on the other, and it was just reflections showing balance yeah. and all that shit. You, you could get that within half the length of looking at that thing. It's like, yes, I've got it. I know what you're saying. Move on. I, I looked at it for a while and decided not that much.
1: We are then introduced to our central character, Danny Ardo, who is a psychology student. And when we first meet her, she is very worried about an ominous email she has received from her sister, who is bipolar. It seems to be hinting at something horrible being about to happen. But as we learn, this is something that happens fairly often. She, however, tries to contact her parents, tries to phone them. We see the phone ringing in their house. We see the parents... Sleeping. Uh, yeah, Let's let's say sleeping. They're in bed. Yeah, They're asleep. They yeah. are sleeping. But they don't react to the phone call and they don't go and answer. They are uh, breathing, though, because we can see them. Yeah, breathing. we'll come to that in a moment.
2: If it's anything like me, I would sleep through a phone ringing three feet away from me. So it's nothing. <laughs> I don't question that, Matt.
1: <laughs> but then, unable to contact them, she phones her boyfriend, Christian, uh, for reassurance. Christian
0: is out with his friends, the other player characters. I mean, uh, <laughs> characters in the film. There's Josh, Mark and Pelé.
1: I think, I think it's Pella. He's not a Brazilian footballer. Pella? Pele? Okay. <laughs> there is one of the characters who calls him Pelle in the film, but Ryan. when he pronounces it, it's Pella.
0: Mark insists Danny is too demanding as a girlfriend and that Christian should break up with her. Before he gets a chance to do so, however, Danny learns that her sister has killed herself and their parents with carbon monoxide poisoning. The only fun part of the film. It's not entirely clear that her sister has murdered her parents or that it's
2: kind of a, they're all in on it. I wasn't really 100% clear on that. I kind of read into it that it was because the email says that the parents are joining me. Mm. And as you say, they were asleep in bed at the beginning of the film. I put it down that, no, she murdered her family, that she was going to bring them with her.
1: Yeah, when you Mm. see the layout of it, she has run these pipes up from the garage. There is the one that's going under her parents' bedroom door and she's Mm. put clothes or towels or something to block the airflow from the room. And then she's put some kind of improvised mask over her Mm. own face and gassed herself. Yeah. So that does make it look very much like this was something that she did to her parents. Mm. This is quite a
2: harrowing scene, how it's presented. It's very atmospheric, very grim, very dark. And, yeah, actually, hats off to the guy. That was a great scene. Yeah. But we cut forward several months. Uh, the still grief-stricken Danny discovers that Christian is planning on going to Sweden with his friends. As you do. They're fellow anthropology students. They're intending to go to witness the midsummer celebrations of the community of... Now is it pronounced
1: Hager? Uh, that That one. And this whole scene... Oh, this series of scenes. Yeah, it is really quite indicative of the kind of relationship they have because christian then goes on and sort of pretends that he was always going to invite danny to join them even though he hadn't mentioned anything to her before she discovered and then he coincidentally tells his friends at the last minute that he's invited danny to join them but she's not really going to come and we've seen his coolness towards her before but this i'd say i mean i don't know whether you two would agree you know this is the first indication that their relationship is at least that he's perhaps quite used to gaslighting her i'd say the fact that he is sort of trying to deny what is very obviously true convincing her that it's all in her own head i mean these are some fairly nasty psychological mind games
2: I didn't read that into it. I read more of, "Hey, the guy's got a chance to go on a boy's holiday. He doesn't want the girlfriend coming along, so he just doesn't mention it." She accidentally finds out about it and says, "Oh shit, I've got to drag the girlfriend along." After, but all. they've been
1: together yeah. for years. He hasn't told her until the last minute until she's found out. I mean, that is not the sign of a healthy relationship.
2: No, I'm not saying it's healthy, but I wouldn't call it gaslighting. I think that's well, no, it
1: is. But it's the fact that when she confronts him about it, he's trying to pretend that all her concerns were only in her head, and we see. Um, Whoa, much... a minute does he yeah we do a little bit there it becomes much more evident in a scene that's only the director's cut later on where i mean this is writ large and he really gaslights the fuck out of her
0: right because i mean it seems like he's he's manipulating his friends a bit he's manipulating her a bit but he's not yeah putting it that way seems a bit Extreme. more than we're seeing on the screen It seems like he's got a girlfriend, he doesn't really know how to deal with her grief, he doesn't really know how to deal with his friends not wanting her to come along, and he's trying to find some kind of balance in the middle in a really poor way.
1: I found his actions entirely unsympathetic. Yeah, Yeah. I mean,
0: they're all pretty unsympathetic.
1: Yes, yeah, that's true, but I found his particularly unsympathetic.
0: Out of Christian's friends, only Pella, a Swede from the Herger community, offers Danny any reassurance. He says he understands her grief as his own parents died in a fire when he was a child, and this only serves to upset Danny more.
2: Suddenly I have a penny drop thinking of what comes later.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that make, makes a bit more
2: sense now. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, that is some fairly heavy foreshadowing there.
2: But subtle in a way, because yes. obviously you don't yeah. realise much later.
1: Again, looking at the relationships between the characters, Pella at this stage comes off as the most sympathetic one, but, you know, as we discover later on, he is manipulating her and everyone else, mm. even more than Christian is. But, yeah, it's this veneer of likability that is such a powerful weapon in this. We Pella get... comes off as a really affable Sorry. character, but at the same time, watching the film the second time, he is a fucking chili. monster. Is what yeah. He is. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean he's he's one of these characters that are very likable, so we
2: think he's nice, but he's not. Danny decides to go on the trip. It'd be a bit of a boring film if she didn't. <laughs> they arrive a little ahead of the celebration, stopping outside of Hager itself. Dozens of young people are gathered in the fields there. Pella tells his friends that these are other members of his community returned from their pilgrimages interesting choice of uh, mm. word there, out into the world. One has brought two other outsiders from London, Simon and Connie. Otherwise, uh, maybe other NPCs, victims, player characters. In they're they're two people who turn
0: up a bit late, I think, for the game. Yeah. I'll <laughs> so just generate your
2: characters now. They, they missed the opening brief. Yeah. Yeah, they but, clearly did, actually, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Again, also interesting choice of words. We've brought them
1: here as well. Yeah. So, everything's intentional. Yes, and this whole idea of pilgrimages, that they send their young people out into the world and use them kind of as lures to bring people back into the community for their celebrations.
0: And I thought in the film, there's a couple of times he does this, there's a good segue between scenes. So she goes into the bathroom in the flat and as she slams the door, you immediately recognise, well, maybe you don't, but you recognise it as a toilet in an aeroplane. So it's just as she shuts the door,
2: it jumps from quite a bit in time. Also, it nicely. It's either that she is really, really small, or that is one monumentally huge airplane. Yeah. Because no way in hell does anyone have that much fucking leg room in an, in an airplane. Oh, I thought you meant in or, the bathroom. And the bathroom yeah. being that big. <laughs> yeah. No way. My, my suspension of disbelief just went out the window. Well, it right. definitely wasn't your... Norwegian air. Hell oh, no, it definitely wasn't. <laughs> that broke
0: the film for Matt, the size of the airplane toilet.
1: After some initial reluctance, Danny is talked by the others into taking some magic mushrooms with them. She starts hallucinating well they all start hallucinating, but she hallucinates grass growing from her hand. Then she becomes paranoid about the laughter of people around her, and wandering around, wanders into this hut, there's a bathroom in there, and just gets this brief hallucination, this brief flash of her sister reflected in the mirror. And the way they deal with
0: hallucinations in this film Mm. uh is both striking and at times quite subtle and not only the hallucinations but also the way they interact like Mark wants he wants to lay down and he tries to get everybody else to lay down (laughs) yeah that's great isn't it this is a lot like mushroom trips so a friend told me (laughs) what time is it
1: it's 9 p.m what
2: do you mean What do you mean? That can't be right, the sky is blue. It's fine, it's Sweden. That's not fine, why is it like that?
0: It's okay, Mark, it's the midnight sun.
2: That feels wrong, I don't like that.
1: Promise you it's okay.
2: I'm not okay. Oh fuck, it's a new person. What? I don't want new people right now.
1: No, new people are good, Mark.
2: Hi, hi. I'm just going to lay down, okay? Yeah, do that. Everybody else lay down. Guys, do it. It feels so nice. Josh, can you lay down, please? See, this is actually one of the elements of the film I found most jarring and most unlikable was that there were too many of these. And it just seemed like, we've got a CGI budget, fuck it, let's use it. No, it's
1: very much, I think, about how the community is using hallucinogenic drugs and drugs of various kinds to break down the reality of the people in their midst, to exert control over them. And the use of these visual effects and cues and so on, I think is vital to building that.
2: I, see, I thought you could have done without them. Um, I know there's that line of, yeah, it's to break down your barriers and defences, because mm. that is blatantly explicitly said later. But it just felt overdone after a while. And I thought, oh, no, nah, you, could, you could easily get rid of this and i think it
0: would be yeah
2: i thought they were relatively subtle most of the time because
0: they weren't like outlandish things that they were seeing they were kind
1: of yeah i mean they're little things so you know for example if she's walking towards the woods at one stage you might see bits of the landscape bits of the trees just rotate or warp slightly Mm. just these very subtle visual disturbances all around
2: usually always to do with nature it was either plants or so grass and such things but yeah I i thought it was a bit too overdone
0: Waking up some hours later, still in full sunshine, the group head off to Herger. They find there a number of odd structures, including a bright yellow wooden temple that they are told is off limits.
2: Big flag. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there, there you know is where the film's going to end. It's yeah, going
0: to end down there. Yeah. Robed people wander all around it, singing and
2: playing instruments. They're load, not cultists. No, but a whole load of them are all stood holding palm to palm, motionless in the background. You mm. think, yeah, that ain't ominous at all. What yeah. the
1: hell? Well, this happens all the way through the rest of the film. There is rarely a scene outdoors after this that does not have robed figures in the background doing something weird.
0: Mm-hmm. When we say robed, it's not like typical cultist robes, is it, with the hood? It's more like they're kind of dressed in white. um, Yeah, white linen
1: smocks or dresses.
0: Yeah, 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 quite old-fashioned looking, but at the same kind of time traditional swedish yeah, they, looking
1: they, I'm just, t- they sure just took the that. hoods
2: off to lure you into a false sense of security <laughs> yeah like, that's it
1: well one of the elders does explain that they wear this because they're sexually ambiguous that it's supposed mm. to represent uh, hermaphrodism
0: they're totally not sexually ambiguous though are they they're clearly lots of young girls in dresses it's not like i'm confused between
2: the, the genders here. No, but, here.
1: but uh, the fact that it's unisex clothing, they don't dress to identify What's, their genders.
2: I would have said that some of the girls do, like following yeah. on from yeah. Paul's point. Yeah, they were blatantly female dresses. And all the girls
0: then, dance together later. It's very, it seems mm. very... And the girls are all doing the cooking later, the men are doing other stuff. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's very, you know, traditional gender roles here. They don't
1: really develop
2: that idea very much. It's literally that one line and it's gone.
1: Yeah. But this whole film takes place... Or almost all of it takes place in the bright sunshine from now on. The sky is blue and cloudless. Everything is absolutely green and vibrant and full of the life of nature... As I said, there's these people in white costumes, smocks, whatever you want to call them, pristine white, wandering around. There is all this ethereal, beautiful music that's being played.
2: There's music. I wouldn't call it beautiful.
1: (laughs) I would. (laughs) But as far as the atmosphere this creates, this is, in almost every respect, the polar opposite of what you expect to find in a horror film.
0: I mean, you've got bright sunshine, but you've also got the horror of the folk music so i mean one offsets the other in my book
2: and, and to be fair but, that being that outside that's pretty horrific for me <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> doing exercise yeah fuck that shit yeah but but in terms of the expectations of what you, you normally see in a horror film, yeah this works against almost everything that you expect yeah every
0: other the film they'd be when they get there it'd just be getting dark yeah and you're over in that dark old shed over there that's where you're <laughs> sleeping. No,
1: it's like a brightly lit
0: place. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a interesting thing. Whether it works or not, I don't know, but
1: and and everything's um, painted in bright colors as well. Everything's vibrant.
2: Not everything, because some of the buildings they look weird and they look wrong. Just they yes. look they look out of proportion. They are dark wood and they are a counterpoint to that.
1: Well, there's Mm. the library that we see later, which is particularly odd, in that it looks like an ordinary house at the front and then it slopes up drastically at the back.
2: It's like the front of it's fallen into a sinkhole.
1: Yeah, and that, I think, is the only dark structure in there. I There's the chicken shed. Okay, yes. But all the other structures that are occupied by people are very bright and cheerful-looking. When Pella
2: gives Danny a drawing of her that he made as a birthday present, she mentions that Christian had forgotten about it. Pella later reminds Christian, who tries to make up for it with a slice of cake. Now, again, there's little bits in this film that I liked, and one of them was that picture, because it had the same little rune in the corner that you see crop up around her a hell of a lot throughout the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. That kind of hourglass rune that's on her dress when she dances later. It's on, uh, I think it's near the bed as well, above her. Yeah, it crops up all around her for quite a lot of the film.
1: Hmm. Yeah, runes play an incredibly important part in this film. I saw more of it on the second pass, but not knowing very much about runes. A lot of it is very much lost on me, but they certainly did their research into old runic alphabets. I'll link to it from the show notes. There's all sorts of discussion about different types of runic alphabets and what they represent and the fact that they very deliberately chose one particular interpretation, one very traditional interpretation for the runes in this. But as far as what the runes symbolise all the way through, like that one that's associated with Danny, yeah, I must admit it's lost on me.
2: Mm. I kind of took it again as this theme of balance because it's like an hourglass. It's got the same above as it has below. So it's all about balance and Yeah, which becomes again somewhat obvious later.
0: The group settle into the large lodge in which they will be sleeping. There is no privacy here. The walls are covered with paintings of the community's life and practices. Danny finds one wall covered with photographs of former May queens. Pella tells her more about life at the commune, including the phases of life. So there's like four phases there's a kind of a childhood phase up until 18 and then there's a phase between 18 and 36 where you kind of go off into the world on pilgrimages and then there's a phase of another 18 years where you're you're kind of a working age and then the last 18 years as a
1: teacher or mentor Mm. or something right as an elder elder, basically and
0: then i think somebody asked well
2: what what do you do at age 72 and he's like
1: "Mm."
2: well Well, he's cutting his throat and and
1: everyone laughs
2: Yeah. yeah look Warning sign here if you're a horror fan. Sergeant Howie just walked up to the wall in the pub and saw a whole line of photos. You know where this is
1: going. yeah. Yeah, Yes, that number of 18 is significant because this film is filled with nines and 18 obviously is nine times two. The festival that they're attending takes nine days. This is a particularly special one that only takes place every 90 years. Yeah, as I said, the stages of life are divided into lots of 18 years and there's another big nine coming up as well.
2: Which doesn't really
0: fit in with the whole living to seventy
2: two, but well, it does because it's, it's that's the eight four times it's eighteen, a, yeah, eight, yeah, know, eight times but, time. All right, what happens to them at age seventy two? Well, you find out in a minute.
0: Yes, I know, but <laughs> if they only this time it happens that they're seventy two when the ninetieth festival comes around.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, well, I 18 get the years impression
2: seventy two is ninety.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> if you were seventy two in a few years' time,
2: you wouldn't be at this festival, would you? No, you just throw yourself off a cliff and no one sees it. Yeah, it's fair enough. It's yeah, I, I get the
1: impression this is something they do every year, that, yeah. that that particular bit. So, you know, whoever's 72 at that stage, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's, yeah.
2: More, it's more it's of an honour for you to do it this time than it is for the other poor schmucks yeah. who do it later. Yeah, <laughs> true. The following day, there's a ceremony in which two of the elders are carried to the top of a cliff and then jump off to their deaths. Again, this is a quite fun scene. I like this one. <laughs> um, the first dies instantly because she knows how to fl- face plant on the stone. But the second survives, even though it seems like he goes down head first. It's no, so he
1: doesn't. He, he, jumps, he jumps down jumps. feet first. Mm. That's the problem. I, I, and, yeah, that's and why so his legs get shattered. shattered. Yeah, yeah, I thought
2: it was he went down head first no. when I looked at it. But, uh, but yeah, in which case, yeah, he just does it, he does it stupidly. He, he doesn't take the dive. So one of the other community members comes over, which you've seen this great big wooden mallet that he's had over his shoulder for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> just come forward and smack! And then, again, passes it over for someone else to have a good smack and make sure that he's really dead. I mean, he had one job, jump off a cliff, hit that massive rock. Yeah,
0: and he still missed like, And he saw the woman before him, like, dive off with her arms out, like, face first
2: onto it. He just jumps off and totally misses it. Yeah, Help. no, he didn't miss it. He did it wrong. He, did, he jumped wrong. Nil point. Can I push the roll? No. <laughs> you failed.
1: I was going to
2: hit you with a mallet. But you could say he made a semi-successful jump roll because he did survive the fall. <laughs> oh, OK. I mean, he did jump. I mean, yeah. he didn't, didn't fail in jumping.
0: It's just the landing was not so... Well, maybe... Yeah, maybe... Yeah, OK. Maybe he did a good landing.
1: Yeah. But having talked about the gore in this film, oh. everything we've seen in Herka so far... Is beautiful and idyllic and sun drenched. And then suddenly, in this first moment of violence, when we see that woman go off the cliff, we see her face impact with the rock and smash in. We see the after effects of this caved in skull, bits of bone poking up through the bloody remains of her face. We see the smashed up remains of the man's legs. We see his head being caved in with a mallet very explicitly. This is completely unflinching in its depiction of the consequences of all this.
2: I was a little bit numb, admittedly, to this scene because the one again, the one thing that kind of put me off it a little bit. Although it's still a good scene in its entirety. She stands at the top of that fucking cliff for so long within this stupid pose. <laughs> Think, yeah, we get you're going to jump. Just fucking jump.
0: Just go. (laughs) I thought the reactions of the bystanders was good. I mean, the the cultists, the Swedes who were there, they're all, like, really into it. You know, it's great. And their reaction to the Americans and Brits who were there, some of whom are totally appalled, either very vocally or just shocked to silence by it. And the cultists are like, you know, what are you doing? You're disrupting our wonderful ceremony. You're you're dishonouring it almost. You're ruining the moment. Yeah. So the British guy, who's it Colin, Simon. Simon Simon mm-hmm. totally goes off on one. And this is a really the effects of a sanity role here, isn't it? I mean, yeah. some of them, yeah, he's failed it, and he's just raging at them.
1: <laughs> Shh! <laughs> fuck, we're going. Fuck! <laughs> this is fucked! <laughs> fuck this! <laughs> you're fucked! <laughs> fuck! You're just fucking standing there watching! <laughs> what the fuck is oh, wrong with you? Fucked! The elder does a really good job of talking him down. Mm, she legitimises
2: what they're doing and actually yeah. gives a solid argument to say, this ain't crazy, this is what we're doing.
1: Yeah, and this is where it all goes a bit Logan's run, where she is talking very much about how when you reach the end of your life, it is an honour to voluntarily give yourself over to death at this stage. This is a great ceremony, it's a great momentous occasion, and the people do this entirely willingly. Mm. This is, I think, a fascinating point in the film. There's plenty of other things that the people of Herga do that is outright evil. But this, I mean, it's shocking to the sensibilities of the people who are visiting them. It's shocking to the sensibilities of the audience. But she you know, makes some point about, would you rather they lived out their days in an old age home or something like that? And i mean, I don't accept the point, but I can understand why someone might embrace that.
2: There's one line that she uses in there is that it corrupts the soul to be in that state for your final years. That mm. go now while you're still enjoying it rather than prolong and have something really horrible happen to you later.
0: Yeah, so the two Brits, the, the latecomers, Simon and Connie, they're just appalled by all of this and they, they insist on leaving. They want to leave, but Connie can't find Simon. It's. I think this is one It is in the middle of the night if I recall correctly. It's, it's slightly dark. Or is dark. this the next yeah. day?
1: I I think it's it's either later that evening because it doesn't actually
0: get totally dark, does it? No, I mean
1: it gets close to dark at that time of year in that area. It gets to sort of twilight in the middle of the night for a few hours, and one of the locals tells
0: her that he's already taken Simon to the train station and, and the truck will be coming back soon to get her. And it's like, mm, is this right? I don't think this doesn't sound right. This, I mean, And she's saying, well, why would Simon go without me? And he's saying, well, there's only two, room for two in the truck. And she's like, well, I could have sat on his lap. And he's oh, well, we don't want to break the traffic laws, do we? <laughs>
2: no, we'll murder people, but we're not going to break the exactly. traffic
0: laws. Exactly. <laughs> um, so she kind of has to buy into what he's saying. And then later on, you know, the anthropology students who are kind of the player characters here, that, that Connie has also disappeared, kind of also maybe gone to the train station.
1: Oh, no, they're told explicitly she's gone and caught a train.
0: Yeah,
2: in inverted commas. Yeah.
1: And I'm really sort of impressed at the social engineering that's going on here. The way that the people of Herga, the elders here, are playing with the notions of civility and the social contract and just the the way that normal people interact with each other to dissipate any doubt about what's going on to deflect people's suspicions and it strikes me as being one of the most terrifying parts of this film how plausible that kind of stuff is how willing people on the whole are to buy excuses. I mean, we see this in almost every aspect of of life. Rowan Morrison? Who's she? Never, (laughs) ever. I was thinking largely in terms of politics, but yeah, I I find it, as I said, I mean, really quite chilling that I can see myself in that position, having the same doubts that Danny's expressing, perhaps bringing them up in the way that she does, and then just being far too easily placated. Because if you think about... The fact that you know these people do not know they are characters in a horror film. If you were in this situation, all right, they're, they're weird cultists. This is all a bit odd. Yes, we've seen these people jump to their deaths. But even then, what are the odds that these people would actually be murdering their visitors? Yeah. Like, uh, that just doesn't happen in normal society. And
0: also, I think it's important to state that we don't see them murdering these other people. This all happens off
2: screen. Mm-hmm. They just go away. Yeah. Although, thinking of it in Call of Cthulhu terminology, that scene with the two elders throwing themselves off the cliff is a great way to reincorporate Danny's backstory, that she is now confronted with ritual suicide rather than... Yeah, I I think that is, because she does
0: see her parents at the foot of the cliffs in a vision, doesn't she? At one point, yeah.
2: Yeah, so
0: she's sort of making a parallel between Mm them.
2: Yeah, again, thought, nice touch. It actually means, hey, that backstory shit I put together on my character sheet does mean something.
1: Yeah. (laughs) In terms of the way the elders spin this line of bullshit, is this something that we think that we could pull off in a game ourselves or are are players just too cynical for something like that to work in an RPG?
2: They are in my games. It's normally if an NPC opens their mouth, players are normally convinced they're
1: lying. Yeah, and I I kind of think this is a bit of a shame. I'm sure I'm as guilty of this as a player as anyone else, but it's just that inability to switch off that metagaming part of your brain. It, it's the same part where, you know, if you're sitting around with a group of friends watching a horror film, it's just sort of, yeah, well, I wouldn't do that. This is clearly the wrong thing to do. That person's acting a bit weird. If I were in that situation, I'd shoot them in the face. They're monologuing.
2: Even more reason.
0: No, I can see doing that in a game, yeah. I think going along with what you've been told, but at the back of your mind, you're sort of thinking, I'm not sure about
2: this. Yeah. Mm. Christian and Josh have a falling out after Christian announces that he's going to do his doctoral thesis on Hager. Josh was already researching similar traditions and can't believe that Christian would elbow his way in like this, because that's exactly what you want at this point, is an argument between the PCs. <laughs> yes. Hey, you're trying to steal my shit!
1: No, I'm not! La, 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 la. Really two academics having a go at each other. And again, this is a great way that the Elders in the Herga community use the fault lines that the players, or sorry, the protagonists have brought into this, that there are all these things that they can just use like emotional jujitsu against the players.
0: Because we've seen this book that the Elders have got called The Ruby Ra. Ruby Radra,
1: Radra, Radra, Ruby
2: Radra. Finger painting Necronomicon.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yes.
0: Um, and so it's like oh, they've got a Mythos tome as well. Excellent. And both the anthropology students want to get hold of this to be able to you know use it in their work, but they're told they can't like take photographs of it and they can't like study it initially. Oh,
2: I want to up my Cthulhu Mythos. No, I want to up my Cthulhu yeah.
1: Mythos. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Josh learns that it's a living document transcribed from the pronouncements of a prophet, and each generation a new prophet is born. Now, we've already had a little discussion between the anthropologists and one of the elders about the incest taboo, and the fact they bring in fresh blood from outside, or make sure that people who are too closely related don't have children together.
2: Brought in. Again, those words,
1: brought in. But what we discover is that there is an (laughs) exception to this, that once every generation, they deliver Deliberately use incest to create a child with congenital birth defects, usually mental ones, that mean that they are considered to be in a sort of divine state of purity, untroubled by the normal concerns of life, and able to channel something divine.
2: Another of my disappointments with the film, that went fucking nowhere you have these occasional scenes mm. of the deformed kid. You think, ah, something interesting might happen here. No, no, we're just going to show him once or twice in some cutaway clips and that's it. Yeah,
1: it's weird. Nothing really mm. comes of that. Well, um, right. I, no, I, I thought it was just really powerful, that idea on its own. The fact that their entire scripture is basically based on whatever is coming out of the mouths on imagination of a developmentally challenged child.
2: I would have liked something to have actually been done with that idea rather than just say, hey, here's a nice idea. I'm going to dangle it in front of you and then take it away again. Yeah, which was It's honestly oh, right. what it felt like. Oh, the no, film does no. quite a lot of that, right? Yeah, um, a lot. Well,
1: but- the, the film does quite a lot in terms of implications and showing a very strange way of life. I think that's enough of a payoff in itself. I found that utterly compelling. I didn't need any more than that. And this is not
0: something I would use in a game. A character with disabilities, whether they be mental or physical disabilities, cast in the role of some sort of
1: mythos
2: conduit. Mm. Mm. It is pretty, I'll say a borderline, it is insensitive, to say the least.
0: It's the, if you like, in black and white, it's it's like the baddies that are doing this. It's not cast as a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that justifies it. So then we get uh, one of the comedy moments of the film uh, (laughs) when Mark takes... Uh, who, Mark is the kind of the one who's kind of the most druggy and uh, Laddish. laddish of, of the group.
1: Like, he's an utter arsehole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know actually if he's any worse than the others. He takes a piss against this fallen tree and he gets shouted at by one of the villagers, one of the cultists. Well who more than just shouted over. at.
1: The, I mean the villager has an absolute meltdown. He he ends up in a fetal position down on the ground, shrieking. No, 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 no! In you'll put Okay, <för> relax, relax. Nu. What did I do? Våra ligger oh, dar to på mina Din lilla amerikanska jävla Stod just pissar på Dude, you. pissed on the ancestral tree. The tree so Yes, yes. So what? Hör vad så.
2: It's That tree is tied to all of our dead. (laughs) It's a dead tree, though. It's dead. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's important to us. I just had to pee. I didn't know it was special.
0: Apparently, this tree is significant to the group. Earlier, we saw them casting the the ashes of the two who sacrificed themselves. They were putting the ashes around the roots of this tree. I mean, this is a fallen tree, mm-hmm. so it's not going to be there very long anyway. It's also not really, when you say earlier, it's like seconds before. Yeah, quite, yes. quite recently <laughs> before. But it also it occurred to me this time watching it, it's like, it wouldn't really surprise me if they all pissed on the tree, all these cultists, because it's just the kind of thing,
2: nutty thing they'd do. Yeah, but it's their piss, not American piss. Yeah, It's not the piss of an outsider. Yeah, and That's what gets his go.
0: <laughs> but, you know, it'd be natural. It'd be, you know, sacrificing something to the elders. Who knows whether that would be disrespectful or not. Well, apparently, apparently it is. is. But only
1: to him. No one else has a meltdown. Yeah. Well, no, the others do seem to be shocked, but they don't seem to be as shocked as that particular elder. And no, he isn't yeah, an elder, he's too young. I got the impression he was one of the elders from where he was seated at one of the feasts.
2: Oh, I, I was kind of pegging him more the same kind of age as not the footballer Pele. Oh, no, no. He's oh, much oh, no, older, older than, than that, me, I think. Really? Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, I would have thought he's he's probably in his 50s.
2: When I watched the, um, our feature afterwards, I could have sworn they're about the same age. Maybe because you see him up closer a bit more then. Hmm.
1: But yeah, Mark even jokes that the guy probably wants to kill him for this.
2: Yes. And then, guess, <laughs> yes, he does.
1: <laughs> yeah, particularly when they're at this feast and the guy's just looking daggers at him. <laughs> but while they're at the feast, this girl who Mark's been flirting with a little bit comes over and sort of, oh, yeah, come with me, come with me, and I'll show you something. And yeah, and that's pretty much the last we see of him. Almost.
2: That night, Josh being pretty much, this is me as an investigator. It is, at this yeah, point, totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Decides he's going to go to bed with his shoes on, so you know he's up to something nefarious <laughs> right from the moment. Sneaks out into the library and starts taking photos of the necronomic island of the holy text, <laughs> which he was explicitly told he couldn't do earlier. It's also worth pointing out, this text, it's one book, but oh, the, yeah. the elder earlier sort of points
0: around the walls and like there's hundreds and hundreds mm-hmm. of these books, which is just a constant flow of text that they're creating in, in hundreds of volumes.
1: Yeah. And when we say creating, I mean, the kid who's responsible for the uh, being an oracle is basically yeah just finger painting stuff on there. Mm. And then you've got the elders who are translating that and writing runes around it to try to interpret what the child means by his finger painting. Mm. So, yeah, clearly this is open to all sorts of abuse.
2: And this is where we get the Turner Prize come from. It does seems to be, like, just random shit thrown at a wall. Oh, it means this. It means that. It means it. But anyway, as for a good fitting end to all investigators here, um, he stops when he sees Mark, yes, because it's obviously Mark, entering the room, realising too late that it is just a villager wearing mask's face like a mask. Mask's face like a mask. That too. Wearing Mark's face like a mask. Before he gets a chance to react, someone caves his skull in with that mallet again. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, he's a thunk. And it, oh, okay. Yeah, you're dead. This, not, much, not much blood, is, but you're dead.
0: This is probably the... I mean, until the climax, it's probably the only one of the characters we see getting killed. It's the first one you see getting killed. Yeah. Well, you see yeah. the bodies
1: of the others later. But. Yeah. yeah, but we haven't seen Simon, Connie or Mark no. die. No, no. Mm-hmm. But
2: you're pretty much sure Mark's dead when someone else comes in wearing his face.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, that reason, a lot of pain. (laughs) To
2: be fair, they did a good job of removing his face that well because it's pretty intact.
1: Well, it's not just that, but when you see the guy in long shot, it sort of looks like he's naked from the waist down. Yes, he is. Well, sort of. What I thought was... This looked an awful lot like the necropants that I've seen mm. photographs of that are displayed in the Penis Museum in Reykjavik, where basically it's a pair of trousers or you know long johns or whatever that are made by removing all the skin from the waist down from someone and wearing them, including the skin of the genitals, over your own. Mm. And from the coloration and the texture of it in that photograph, rather in that shot... It looks very much like the guy is wearing Mark's necropants. Ah.
2: I didn't see that. This is kind of harking back to the quality of my TV when we did the <laughs> uh, the, Honestly, the, the, yeah. the itch. It was a pretty dark shot, one of the few dark shots you get in the film. I thought it was more that he was stood in the doorway and it looked like he pissed his pants. No,
1: no, there was, the, like there was a the dark was... spot around the groin. No, no, oh, those, right. those were genitals.
2: Oh, yeah. You, you see plenty of them later, but for the minute I thought that was him just having pissed his pants.
1: Now, you talked about the fact that a number of people have disappeared, and this is the first one we see dying. Again, thinking about the gaming aspects of this, is this the kind of thing you think we could pull off in a Call of Cthulhu game, where you have the player character's disappearing one by one. I mean, for a start, how do you do that in a way that isn't blatantly obvious to the other players? And I guess more importantly, how do you make that fun?
2: You you don't, because I've I've been in a game where this has happened, where you have people sat at the table after their character goes into a vegetative state after half an hour and then have to spend (laughs) the next three and a half hours in-game, sat there watching everyone else have fun.
0: The village elders later tell the anthropology students that their holy book is missing, implying that Josh has run off with it.
2: I got me the Necronomicon. I'm going to run for the hills, boy.
0: (laughs) So clearly Josh hasn't run off with it. We know that. So they're doing this just to explain to the anthropology students where
1: Josh has disappeared to, because that seems credible. No, I think it's much, much cannier than that. Again, it's a really clever piece of social engineering, because by... Doing this, but not making any direct accusations, suddenly, they're creating the social pressure on Danny and Christian to distance themselves from Josh. It's sort of Josh has transgressed. He has done something really unspeakable to your community here. Therefore, we must divorce ourselves from his actions, and that then puts them in a headspace where the last thing they want to do is think too much about why Josh isn't around. It's a fantastically deft way of deflecting suspicions. Mm. Again, you know, the the social engineering aspects of this, for me, are the most terrifying part of the film.
0: Where is your friend, Josh? I know. uh, We have no idea. He and your other friend, they both disappear the same
2: day. You see how it looks? Yes, obviously, but I swear to you, we are in the dark on this. We're just as confused as you are.
1: Well, we didn't see Mark
2: off that girl last night. What girl?
0: Inga. Yeah, but Mark wouldn't have done this. Josh, on the other hand, he came to bed with us,
2: and when we woke up, he was gone. And if he did take that book, I just pray you understand, we don't associate as friends of his or collaborators or anything. We would just be so embarrassed to be connected to this in any way, shape, or form. I kind of read more into it on uh, a more subtle level, I think, like Paul did, was that it was just, hey, this is explaining how your friend isn't here oh, anymore. no,
1: no, it's a hell of yeah. a lot more than that. Their reactions to it are just perfect, and this is exactly what the elders are doing. They know what buttons to press, how to press them, and they've got exactly the reaction they want.
2: Danny is given a glass of special tea and invited to join the other young women in a dance endurance contest. The winner will be crowned May Queen. Yeah, because nothing bad ever happens to those in horror films. Although she blunders through the process, tripping mentally, if not physically, Danny is the last one standing. This is not as good as the dance scene in Greece. I'll just point that out.
1: <laughs> it is, though, a sort of cultish version of they shoot horses, don't they? Have, you, have neither of have you ever seen that? I've not seen, seen Greece and I've not seen
2: that horse film. They, you not have not sh- seen
1: Greece? No. Oh, fuck Greece. They shoot horses, don't they? If you're a Call of Cthulhu fan, you should be watching that. I mean, this is... It's 1930s rather than 20s. It's the Depression. But it is about a dance contest in the Depression where people are competing for a prize these are people who are starving absolutely desperate for money and it's an endurance dance contest the last person standing wins everything no one else wins anything and it is just about the sort of horrible limits that they'll push themselves to in order to try to win this prize and it is at least as dark as any horror film i've seen
0: not as good as the dance competition
2: in american pie either <laughs> oh right now that one i do again <laughs> oh, but the, the odd thing for me with the dance, the, the end of it, when it came down to three of them, it seemed like, well, we know who's going to be the last one standing, but it almost seems like the two locals who were left last almost deliberately collide into each other. Quite possibly. Well, yeah. I kind of think
1: so. Yeah, it just seemed like, well, they do, right? Yeah. Mm. It certainly makes sense, Yeah. And the other important thing about this scene is this is where the name Herka comes from, because Herka is a real place in Sweden. But, yeah, you know, all of the traditions and the cult and the community and so on are made up for the film. But the reason Ariasta chose this location, that name, for the community was because apparently there is a tradition or a folktale that is based around that area. Something called... Uh, and I, I will apologise to our Swedish listeners because I will mangle them this, but the Herge Latin, which is a folk song, translates into English apparently as the Herge song, which is about... A fiddler who may be the devil who comes along to the community and plays this song that gets everyone dancing and dancing and dancing, forgetting their troubles, but then forgetting the outside world, forgetting their relationship with God, and it just becomes a curse.
2: They do have a little bit of expedition about this, don't they, where it's the dark one came to the valley, or, yes. as I read, tep came to the valley and made everyone dance until they died. Ha, 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 ha.
1: repeat after me. Sad
2: hafty, sad hafty, gooda
0: true, gooda true, sad hafty, gooda true, 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 to impregnate one of the local girls in a strange communal sex ritual nudity warning
2: here lads <laughs>
1: yes. yeah this is such a weird scene isn't it <laughs> yeah it's very strange
0: so he goes into this darkened room very gloomy and there's this one ginger haired girl who's kind of been catching his eye and is uh, obviously been the sort of target for him to bringing fresh blood into the community and breed with her. She's been hoping for
2: this ever but since she put a, pubic hair in his pie.
0: There's, yep. there's a semicircle of about a dozen or so women of various ages arrayed around all naked humming and chanting and as he goes in they come forward and start caressing him and yeah. encouraging <laughs> him in really weird ways
1: holding, holding his face up and looking him in the eye while he's screwing this girl and yeah uh, another one gets out damp behind him and starts pushing his buttocks obviously
2: oh, it's the old woman that does that and yeah. i thought hey she's really getting into this by proxy
1: christian at this stage i mean he has obviously been drugged and he is he, you see There's sort of range of emotions on his face. I mean, he's obviously not enjoying this, but it's a combination of bemusement and terror, I think.
0: And Danny, after being crowned May Queen, she hears what's going on and she comes in and she looks through the keyhole and evidently sees Christian having sex with this woman and these other women. Um, She just kind of flees out in, you know,
2: being distressed. There's elements of this that really reminded me a lot of some of the scenes in the recent series of Handmaid's Tale, where mm, all yeah. of the handmaids, they seem to share emotions at a certain point, like they all get involved in childbirth scenes and so on, that the all of the women that are involved in the copulation happening in the barn, and all of those that gather around the May Queen, they all take part and echo or repeat the same emotions. Yeah, that was
0: kind of cool kind of like a load of actors doing an actorly thing of like
2: some kind of let's get into our emotions here yeah. again far too long they could have cut the screaming down by a good minute and a half per screaming bun- uh. screaming clips
1: well we'll get to that bit in a moment so christian having ejaculated inside this young woman just freaks the fuck out at the stage he's finally had enough he gets up he flees the barn and runs outside naked and starts running through the community. And at this stage, he passes by a flower bed and sees a leg sticking up from the flower bed. And from the black skin on there, it's got to be Josh because he was the only black person there. That um, seems
0: really weird and out of place to put that in. Yeah. You know, He's been subtle about getting rid of all these things. And it's like, is he sort of saying to the audience to make sure you know that these people have been killed? It seems... It's kind of a footnote. Oh. <clears boom>! Tsh- <laughs>
1: Uh, Anyway, yeah, carry on And then, yeah, he flees into this barn And in the barn, he encounters Simon And Simon has been hung from the rafters And he has had committed to him what is known as a blood eagle. Very Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, which is this thing out of Norse legend. I mean, it's debatable whether it was ever actually done for real, but it does appear in old Norse legends. This torture in which someone's back is cut open and their lungs are pulled out into wings behind them. And we see Simon still seems to be alive. His lungs are twitching a Mm. bit, which obviously would not happen because lungs don't work like that.
2: He's still tripping. That's what I put it down to.
1: And as if that weren't bad enough, Simon's eyes have been plucked out and replaced by flowers. And while Christian is underneath Simon's body looking up at all this in horror, he hears a sound, looks over, and sees one of the elders there who has a handful of dust that he blows into Christian's face. Lights out.
0: And when it comes back, the lights come back on. Christian awakes. He is paralyzed. He is told he can't speak or move. And the villagers are gathered around Danny. Now she's completely covered in flowers, like a mountain of them. And the elders explain that they still need to sacrifice more people and to complete their rite. And Danny must choose between Christian and one of the locals.
2: And dun, 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 she doesn't choose Christian. Yeah, oh i'm sorry yeah no she does she does she chooses christian yeah she totally does again with the we know where this is gonna go
1: yeah god no <laughs> but, but, but after he's been so good and faithful to her bullshit what film have you been watching up until this point
2: <laughs> still drugged christian is stitched inside the corpse of a bear that they randomly showed in the film up until this point of yeah there's a bear in a cage so what yeah it's mean, yeah, just there no reason Well, yeah, there is a reason. You're going inside it, mate. So they have this little um, biology lesson of this is how you cut the guts out of the bear, and then this is how you're going to put him inside and make like a tadouken, and it's just this person (laughs) shoved inside this bear carcass. Then, remember that big yellowy flag at the beginning of the film, the little pyramid at the end of the village? Yeah, he and the other sacrifices, including the mutilated remains of the other outsiders, are placed in the temple which is then set on
0: fire. And I can't help thinking, he's in this bear costume and he's paralysed. He can kind of move his eyes a little bit. He looks just like Father Dougal from Father Ted.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I was more thinking the reason why they had him drugged and he couldn't move is because he couldn't repeat the same lines as Howie when he's getting burnt as well. Because, again, uh, it is, oh, a very familiar ending. <laughs> why, am I in, why am I in this
0: bear Ted? <laughs> Uh, You're going to burn.
1: <laughs> well, I was also reminded of some of the classic uh, Roman tortures. There was one where people would be sewn inside sacks, often with uh, venomous creatures, and uh, perhaps thrown into a lake or a body of water and drowned. But there's perhaps a far more appropriate one for this, where I think it turned up in Tortures and Torments of the Christian Saints, where one of the saints was killed by being sewn inside the carcass of a donkey and left to rot in there. Yay! The
0: villagers burst out into an ecstatic demonstration of every emotion imaginable as they watch the flames. But I will point out here that they seem to have adopted the uh, thing that was raised by a bunch of students the other year of not clapping because it could, you know, oh, distress yes. people. Instead, using jazz hands <laughs> yeah. as they oh, as yeah. they t- mm-hmm. that was
1: their term to applaud. Wasn't there something similar in the Occupy Wall Street movement? I think they did that. It was either that or clicking their fingers. Right. But, yeah, they didn't applaud because they considered that, I think, to be too aggressive.
0: And as they're doing so, as, as the place burns down and the film comes to an end, we see Danny. she is also watching,
2: and she begins to smile. Uh, but she has to have her little stumbling around in her dress, crying her eyes out first, and then suddenly go 180 and go, hey, I'm happy with this now, I'm a cultist. Yes. And that's <laughs> the end of the film.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say... Overall, my impression was that I think I'm between the two of you. I, I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, and I yeah, you know, I quite enjoyed re-watching it again. I think it make a terrible scenario mm. because and this is part of the failing of the film as well, I think, is the main characters, if you like, if they're the who we've been talking about as the player characters in a game, you'd be giving you player characters and then the, the keeper, the GM, would tell you everything that's happening, you wouldn't really get to do anything, and then it'll be over. And that's kind of what happens in the film to the characters who come along. Everything just sort of happens to them. They're kind of along for the ride. And as a viewer, I kind of felt like a bit of a passenger as well. There wasn't a lot of story or drama to kind of get involved with, and I felt it kind of failed on that front.
1: Well, I, I didn't feel like it was that they were just along for the ride. I felt that it was... Fundamentally about trust, the fact that they put their trust in these people who were their hosts. They put their trust in the stories they were being told. They just believed the wrong people. They were cynically manipulated by people who were absolute masters of doing that. And this has echoed... I mean, I mentioned, you know, the whole thing about Christine Gaslighting Danny. And that is much more apparent in the Director's Cut version, where there is a, a significant scene of that happening. And it, it was like... That was the, the microcosm of what was going on in their relationship. And then we see the larger version of that going on with the entire group of anthropologists and the other outsiders and the cultists, in that they were playing very similar kind of mind games, undermining their sense of reality, telling them not to trust what they were seeing and believing and controlling the experience. And, yeah, I found that absolutely fucking terrifying. What did you make of it,
2: Matt. Two and a half hours of my life I will not get back. I fell asleep uh, halfway through. And I'm less than halfway through it. I had to uh, stop the DVD and rewind by about an hour to get back to where I'd left off. Yeah, but Matt, uh, you could
1: fall asleep while being punched in the face. Yeah, but at least that, that
2: being punched is boring. This film was fucking boring. It really reminds me of a lot of why I don't like Tim Burton and I don't like Terry Gilliam films, because they are all style over substance. The film could have been cut by an hour and still told the same story if you took out a lot of extraneous shit which went nowhere and all those
1: long lingering shots <laughs> that, oh, it looks great on the screen, are too goddamn long. But it's not just that it's lingering. It's not just trying to create a sense of, of, of beauty. Film works on a number of different levels it's not just telling a story like any form of art it's trying to create an emotional experience and the visual aspect of that yeah you know, the use of color the the you know, the way the whole thing is shot the use of sound the the pacing of it is all part of that it creates an almost trance- like state it creates a very specific emotional experience in the viewer that you would not get if they just cut the whole thing down and said all right here's the story I mean if that happened I reckon you know if you had a cut of it that was you know an hour and 20 minutes long that just had the good bits in it that film would be s- twice as boring because it would not resonate on any kind of emotional level
2: well I nothing particularly re- so the, the occasional moments that i got in the film so thought, oh yeah that's a nice clever bit of storytelling hmm. but it, unfortunately those bits were few and far between and it was really diluted by how stretched out it was for the rest of the film and when you get to the end, it's just you think, "Ah, oh, Ari has to watch The Wicker Man and decided to do it in Sweden. And he was doing it while he went through a breakup. So he had um, so he had a breakup stir plot line between the two main characters, but kind of running parallel to that. Fuck's sake, do something original, really. I don't think it needs a longer cut. I can't imagine
0: I'd want to see a longer cut. I, I actually
1: preferred the director's cut.
0: I just sort of would have liked him to do more stuff with the parts that he'd got during the run of the film. I didn't, uh, seeing it at the cinema, I didn't find it, to be too long i just kind of got to the end and felt a bit like i would have liked more content in it to Mm. more kind of story more drama sort of within that or more exploration of what the cult was
2: doing or more yeah just more content really that was another big point that i came away from is that at least with the far superior wicker man everything had a point and everything was structured Mm. and it all led to a very explained end game this there was no explanation beyond oh yeah we do it every night years there was no big master plan there was no real cohesive narrative that brought the whole thing together and made it worth watching it was just now we're just doing this shit
1: no it was it was religious practice it was the expression of their beliefs the whole point of it being midsummer i mean you touched on this you know a number of times you know it's a film about balance you know, in terms of the tradition surrounding Midsummer, that's what it represents is the balance is the tipping over between summer and the end of summer. Kind of ironic. They have a, uh, an
2: uneven number of people that they're getting rid of then. <laughs> <laughs> May uh, Queen in Midsummer.
1: But yeah. Yeah. June June. I mean, that, that, that bit. Yeah. I, I wasn't quite so keen on, but what they were doing. Yeah, that made perfect sense to me. It was about finding that balance in their community, trying to find the balance between life and death, the balance between preserving their traditions, their bloodlines in an almost Nazi way, and bringing in new blood. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that all made sense, just
0: not very dramatically engaging or oh, not no, as really? dramatically engaging I as I think mm-hmm. it could have
2: been, perhaps. If it had know. been given that kind of explanation or at least a bit more signposting, then I think it could have had a bit more of that. Yeah, I but don't know if I'm
0: necessarily looking for... I
2: don't know if explanation's the
0: right word, but a bit more exploration of, mm-hmm. of the things that were going on mm. um, and more you know, drama with the
1: what I will term the main characters. That would have been a completely different film. And... No, I really like this for what it was, because it made me work a bit. It engaged me in a way that other films don't. I don't mean it engaged me more, but it engaged me using a different set of tools, a different set of mechanisms. Yeah, I I found myself drawn into it and engaged with it more than I am with the vast majority of horror films for that reason, because it worked very much on an emotional level and a more complex palette of emotions than you see in most horror. Thank you, thank you, thank you, you. you. Well, once again, we have people to thank. They have given us offerings. They haven't set fire to them happily. They've sent them to us via Patreon and we have received them gratefully. So we would like to thank a bunch of new people by name, but we'd also like to thank everyone who listens to the show, everyone who has already backed us via Patreon. But yes, now we would like to thank these people.
2: Don't worry, no increments of the number nine. You're safe here.
1: You just counted, did you?
2: Yeah. First off, thanks to Gene Nittle. And also thanks go out to Jim McCarthy.
1: Thank you very much to A.W. Barder.
2: Thank you to Good Mania. And also a singular thanks here go out to Dylan. And thank you very much to Michael Morton. Thanks to Sophie Lee. Thanks to Zachariah
0: McAllister. Thank you very much, Aaron Gullison. Thanks to Steve Spencer. Thanks to
2: RJ Gribko.
1: Ah, and thank you very much to Keeper Dan, a.k.a. Dan Kramer.
2: And thanks to Christopher Betancourt. And thanks go out to Felson Meir.
0: And
1: finally, thank you to Burke Beese. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Okay, everybody,
0: well, remember to stay in the
2: sunlight and... <laughs> I get sunburn too easy. I prefer my place in the dark. I like my shadows. You like, yeah, you like the dark, Matt? Oh, yes.
0: All right. Midwinter for Matt, I think we can tell from the name of this film.
2: <laughs> well, the first few seconds of the film are those nice, icy, frozen uh, forests. Yeah, that's my kind of place. All right. Well, until next time, it's a good night from me. Cheerio from me. farewell
1: from me. Hello? com.
2: Please dear God, don't do an episode on Hereditary. (laughs)